My name's Jordan Cranston. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking, lads? Sparta. Oh uh, well, um, uh, my name is Jordan Cranston. I'm currently based in uh, Wolverhampton. I was born and raised in Wolverhampton with my my two parents and my my eldest sister. Um, I've got a, a young son who's turning three in September, and yeah, that's that's the introduction of me. I've got two got two working class. That's parents who my mom's working at the NHS at the local hospital, New Cross. My dad's on the the bus bus drivers, but unfortunately he's um he's just not too long ago, a couple of years back, he had uh, suffered from prostate cancer, and um he's he's currently as a high risk to um to himself and obviously to other people. But he's on fair at the moment. But um, everyone's keeping well. My fam, my parents are alright. My my son's alright, and I'm doing alright as well. Yeah, good to hear, mate. Good to hear. Um, and big question, Jordan. Who's who's your team? Who do you support? I, um, I don't know. Obviously, you both you all from um, from Liverpool, the Liverpool area. And I'm a Liverpool fan. My dad's a Liverpool fan. My family's a Liverpool fan. So I've basically grown up, even though I'm from um, I'm from Wolverhampton. I've I've basically watched Liverpool and gone to watch them a few times. So yeah, Liverpool's my, Liverpool's my team at the moment. Your early days, had you always had aspirations of being a footballer? Uh, my early days, uh, um, yeah. Obviously, my, my, I was around my, my dad a lot. And obviously, he played. He didn't play at a, as a high level, but he'd play like Saturday and Sunday leagues. Obviously, I'd go down and watch and obviously kick around. And even so, he used to manage a team on a Thursday for like over 35s on where I used to train for Wolves at um, Aldersley Stadium. And then um, I would always go down just to like see what happens. But I would always always go and kick around with little friends and little tournaments as well. But I've always had the big aspirations of um of playing football as well from a young age, but I didn't know I would end up where I am where I am now. And how old was you when you joined the Wolverhampton Academy? Um I joined Wolves at the age of of seven. Seven years old. I was playing for my um, my local team, um, Wensfield. Not too far from me, and I got I got picked up from scouted by um by Bob Bennett, a top man, top bloke. I've always got real admiration for Bob, who's always who's 
probably I would say one of the most genuine guys I've ever met. And obviously he's been at the Wars Academy as a scout for many years now. And um, so, yeah, I've been at Wars from the age of seven and, and I continued through the, the youth ages there up until um, I got released at the age of age of 20. Obviously, your, your whole childhood and teenage years were at an academy. Um, was that just your sole focus then when you were in sort of secondary school and all your friends were looking at going to college? Was you just on that path to becoming a footballer? Um, um, at, at the time, I was, yeah. From like being young age, I just wanted to play football. But I had a lot of a lot of ups and downs during my time for the academy as well. I was like, from the ages of, from probably about 11, 12, 13, 14, I, I, I wanted to quit, to be honest with you. Because I would always get like nervous before games, before training. I didn't want to, at them ages, you want to you be around your friends, don't you? So yeah. I, would, I would always finish school. And my plan was finish school to go training. Other people, all my friends was to finish school and go and play out, go over the park and do whatever as, as teenagers would do. But I was literally grinded from that academy mentality from walls as to always, always be level-headed and train and focus on. So I didn't really have like a, a personal life. My personal life would probably come on a Sunday after training or after, after games. That's, that was my main focus. But I remember going to my dad at the age of 12, just like coming back from school and he was like, come on, we got to get ready for training. And I'm just like, I can't even be arsed. I don't want to go no more. I just want to quit. Because at the time, I wasn't really getting along with the under 12s manager. He would always like belittle me, like kind of like talk down to me and whatever. And I'm I'm not in that mental mainframe yet at the age of 12 to even step up for myself and say something. So I'm just coming home and and cry. I'd cry before going to train. I'd cry before games. I remember there's one instance where I'd, we was, I was think I was playing Liverpool at the under 12s and all the lads have gone out to warm up and I'm just sitting in the change room like, I, can't, I don't want to go out there. I feel nervous. Like, I'm feeling sick. And my parents had to come in and speak to me and make sure everything was okay with me. And um, I, obviously, I got over it. My confidence came back and at the end of the, at the, end of the under 12s, <laughs> Wolves offered me a four-year four deal. Wow, and uh, what, 12, 13 years old? Yeah, the age of 12 and 13, four years old. You, the, the academy, I don't know if it's at any other academy, but if you if they want to continue you to, towards your scholarship, or the under-16s, I'd say, they would offer the certain players four-year contracts to go to the under-16s and end there, and then you'll get your decision to come if they want to offer you a scholarship or not. So only a fair few of players got them the four-year deals, but... Looking back on it now, I think it was kind of the right decision to where I am now to continue and carry on. Did that give you a bit of confidence then moving forward that they sort of trusted you with that length of time for, for that length of contract? Um, at the time, how I was feeling at the time, I didn't think um, they would give me anything because I was going through so much. I just wanted to quit football all in all and just go back to Saturday League and Sunday League and play with my friends and be happy. But for, for, for the club to show me so much resilience in how I've approached myself and to show the courage that I've gone through, for them to offer me a four-year deal was was actually a humbling thing to do. And I can't thank them, I can't thank Wolves enough for to, for the player I am and the career I've, I'm having now. And outside of the, the contract, were they supportive with 
sort of your lack of confidence and a bit of, the bit of the suffering you went through, or were they not aware of it? That was just just your parents. Um, at the time, I, w- I wouldn't really tell Wolves. I would mainly, obviously, my parents know knew because they was obviously witnessing it firsthand for me coming home and obviously them taking me to training and coming into the, the change rooms to like boost my confidence up and everything. But I remember I was at under age under 11s. I had one Pacific manager that I always wanted to, always wanted to work with called um, called Des Davis. And I, when I moved to under 12s, he literally, he, I think he left. For, for personal issues, I don't remember. But we had a, we had two completely different managers who I've never worked under. So they always thought that they was better than who they was. Obviously, they came from the professional backgrounds and always tried to, like, drill their mentality into teenage boys, basically. Like, year eight, so I was in at the time. And they would, they would think we were grown men, the way they could treat us. And obviously, I lost my confidence from that. And when I came to under-13s, he came back. So as soon as I signed my four-year deal, I was with him from under 13s and 14s up until I was 16. So my confidence just grew from there. And and I signed, they offered me a two-year scholarship when I was halfway through my under 16s, when I was I was playing with the under 18s regularly. And uh, I remember we was travelling to the under 18s at the FA Youth Cup game when I was in the squad. And I had to go in early because the academy manager at the time was offering me a, a two-year scholarship. And... That was, I was obviously happy at the time, and I just couldn't wait to, to get obviously get finish school and continue my scholarship for the next two years at a club I was I've always grew up grew up through through the academy as well. Do you think if the coach never came back, you would have gone as far as you did, or do you think he was that influential for you? Um, I would I would say so because I know I'm, I I bumped into him the other day not too long ago, and obviously he's still. He's the kind of guy who wants to see the best for you. Because when I was going when I was going through the academy, his nephew Mark Davis was in and around the first team, so he kind of knew what he wanted from his nephew and from younger lads. So he would treat them. They he would come up to us and just say, "Be happy, play with a smile on your face," and that's what you need from a coach. You don't need coaches just telling you and trying to belittle you as as smaller than like a piece of shit. You know what I mean? But yeah. He would he would always just come in and just have a smiling face, come in, be happy. If you're not doing things well, I'll help you out. He was he was the kind of manager where you would he was a trustworthy manager and you'd go out and do anything for him. Do you think there's an, an issue in academies in general where they forget sometimes how young the players are and they almost go a bit too far with it? Um speaking from my time for the academy compared to compared to now, I don't really know how academies are run now. But from my experiences, I didn't. We didn't. The clubs didn't really help in that aspect of like, if say players wanted to quit, they wouldn't really know what to do and suffer firsthand. But I think I only found out a change when I was a, when I was a scholarship. Like I don't. We had two men come in who would give us talks about obviously the the mental health and how they suffered. I, Jeff, I remember Jeff Whitley. Remember Jeff Whitley. Yeah, they play for Man City. Yeah, Jeff Whitley yeah. used to come in every week on a on a Wednesday when we used to finish finish school because we did a B Tech sport compared with the football as well. So he would come in and tell us about his first hand experiences of what he's what he's been through and what he's what he's 
what he was currently going through at the time and he would help us as well to prepare for if we got into that kind of mental state as well. So I would say that really helped me at the time as well, listening to what he's got to say. Yeah, I think he spent time at the Sporting Chance Clinic um, yeah. after being addicted. Um, I don't know if it was drugs or alcohol or both, but um, yeah, I think he's done some great work, which is it's always good, especially at that age, isn't it, to, to see someone who's been through the game and played for the country and sort of tell you what lies ahead, essentially, if you're not yeah, too definitely. careful. Definitely. In, in terms of then your, your latter stages at Wolves, I believe you, you did get a pro contract in you after your scholarship. Yeah, um, I got offered a, a, a one year with a, a year's option. And um, obviously when I found out I was getting a, a professional contract at my, I would say, Boyle Club and I've gone, I rose for the academy from every age group. It was, a, it was a, a massive achievement for myself personally and a massive achievement for my family compared to what I was going through when I was under 12s, when I could have, when I could have just quit and just left, I did, I could have been anywhere, but for them to show me the, the faith of, of playing every age group above my, my age range from under 18s, for them to offer me a, a pro was, was very humbling. And I couldn't, I couldn't thank them as lot as, as more than I can. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of lads go through academy systems and, and, and then we very few like you turn professional at the end of it, don't they? So that must have been a, a great achievement, as you mentioned. When it came to your time being up at Wolves, how did you take it and how, how did they go about it? Did they offer any support at all? Because you're still fairly, obviously, young at the time. Yeah, at the time, when I, I remember the, the day, literally com- completely, I remember everything step by step, the day the day went. I remember getting, um, getting called into the office and at the time, the season before, the season prior, I was I was doing well. I was playing every game from the 23s, training with the first team, and um, I couldn't be I couldn't be more consistent even my, my football level at the point. So I remember going into into the the boardroom, and I was remember speaking to the academy manager at the time, Kevin Fowler, and he looked he was just looking at me like, and I remember I remember his exact words. He was like, "We Jordan, we don't know what to do." Like we don't know whether to keep you on or offer you a deal, because you know, and for someone for you to hear that, for me to hear that personally, he was like, I didn't think if they made a, a full on conclude decision at the time, because they could have done anything. They could have offered me a year, and sent me out alone. But they, I don't think they was too upfront with me and honest to just say, oh, we don't know what to do with you. We don't know whether to offer you a deal. So I thought the easy option was to do for Wolves being promoted that season was to get rid of me, and. I'm not going to lie to you. I came home and I was crying. I was crying to my parents because I've gone through the the whole youth system, two-year professional I did. And for you to give me a reason like that was kind of heartbreaking at the point. You could have just been straight up honest with me and said, look, we're going with this plan for next season. The manager doesn't see me as plans. But for, for them to say, we don't know what to do with you. We don't know whether to offer you a deal or or to keep or to, to get rid of you or to keep her, sorry, was heartbreaking and tough to take. But at the time, I wouldn't say they they reached out for me for moral support. I was just it's kind of like you have to get on with it, and I was in a big wide world at the time for being grown up for a youth system and having basically everything done for me, going into the change room, my kits laid out and everything for to realise now, fuck, I'm I'm in the real world now and I have to go and find fend out for myself. Yeah, exactly, and it's, especially since being there since you were seven, like you must have been in such a routine and. It's a great academy up at Wolves as well. So 
when you then found yourself in, in non-league, was that like a huge culture shock? Um, at, yeah, at the time, I remember just coming towards my last stages at Wolves. I remember going on loan to a non in town for the month. And for me to go out and witness uh, being in the man's game at the age of 19, such a in the conference was actually a massive learning curve. I remember my first game was at Braintree away. And I remember going, I met the squad that day on the coach and I didn't really know anyone. So I was kind of like by myself. But I kind of, I, I didn't know at the time that I knew the guy who was playing, lived, literally lived around the corner from me, called uh, Phil Trainer. So I was kind of like, I, met, I made friends with him on a personal level and I would travel in with him. But it was actually a massive reality check for myself to um, to go to Nunny and again from getting released on walls on a non-contract basis because I was getting paid from the age of 16 and going to Nunny on a non-contract basis by just pay as you play. So it was a massive reality check for me to even think about that could just happen in the space of a year. Yeah, but they part-time were they in Nuneaton? At the time, yeah. So I was in a full-time routine being at walls. Every day I was training and I've, I've gone to Nuneaton and it was part-time. It was training Thursday and Tuesday and Thursday nights. So I am i didn't know what to do the rest of the week because I would train Thursday and Friday and play Saturday. So I was think, I was debating about looking for a job and stuff like that. But I knew from getting released on walls, I knew I was, I was good enough to play better than um, the conference. No disrespect to it, but I knew I was better than playing at this level. So I was determined... To, um, to long it out and see where it gets got me. And I remember playing one game and then um, my old youth team manager got in contact with me and says, look, this is a situation down in Notts County. We want you to come down. The manager, Sean Derry, wants you to come down, have a trial and see where it goes from there. And that's where my career started at Notts County from, from that one phone call and that one trial. Yeah, because you'd obviously had a good youth career at Wolves and you'd played for Wales under-19s, I think, a couple of times. Um, did you just sort of take Nuneaton because it was lo- local-ish and a bit of an easier option at the time? Or was was there uh, any full-time clubs uh, um, got tapped before Notts County? Um, at the time, when I got released from Wolves, I think I had I was on a lot of trials. I was on trial at Wrexham, uh, Burton Albion, and... Um, I didn't. I was doing the whole trial at Burton, but at the time I think Burton was in League Two under Gary Rowett. So I played a couple of pre-season games there, and I think they offered me a contract. And then suddenly I was ready to sign, and it fell through because the owner didn't wasn't paying out as as much. I want, I'm not saying I was on great money at Wolves, but it was. I was asking for relatively close to what I was on at Wolves at Burton, and I think the chairman just turned away from the contract. So I ended up going up to wreck someone on trial done with Kevin Wilson. So I was travelling every day from Wolverhampton to Wrexham just to, to train for the next over pre-season. And I didn't, I didn't get off nothing there. And the last option was for me to go back to Nuneaton because I was already on loan there previously. And you've mentioned that being away from home was something you struggled with in your career. It's often quite glamorised lifestyle of a footballer, but is it a lot harder than what meets the eye? Yeah, definitely. I'm, from being at Wolves, I was living at home for the for the last 20 years prior for me to then moving. I remember going to Notts County and um, I was travelling in with one of my mates who was at the time, Zeli Ishmael, 
we both from Wolverhampton, so we'd car school and share. And um, I remember my dad coming up to me saying, you can't keep doing this every day. You need to go up there and share share an apartment with someone. So um, I came to con- the conclusion of me to move up there and move away from home for the first time. And um, I think you, looking back at it now, even though I was at Notts County for 18 months, I think it was kind of like a fairly um, bad decision on my part to, to move up move up there for being a young lad at 20, 21 in a, in a massive city like Nottingham and having some of the things I've heard about there, the, the party life and the reputation of, of what goes on around Nottingham, I think he just got the better hand of me. So I kept on like, I would go out most of the time with, I, had, I met a couple of, I made some friends up there and my friend was going to uni up there. So we kind of like knew the basis of having like promote, club promoter friends and like getting into clubs. So that kind of like sucked me in a, li- a little bit. So I was kind of like neglecting my time at Notts County. And I was kind of like mixing it up with the lifestyle of partying and uh, and training as well. So that kind of hit hit reality check to me as well. As someone who's been to Nottingham a few times to watch football, it just sounds like you're telling us you went to Hooters a few times there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been to Hooters uh, uh, <laughs> a fair times, yeah, but... Like I said, um, he got the best of me being up there. I tried. Obviously, I was only I signed for Notts County on a, on a only till September, and uh, I remember playing every game in League One. Like even jumping from the conference to League One was a massive, another massive reality check. It was crazy to even make my my debut against Peterborough under under against Marcus Madison, who's playing, who's played Championship for a good standard now. And um, yeah. and after that, after playing that, um, Sean Derry offered me an 18 month deal, and I was buzzing because for me to a couple of years, a couple of months prior to be at Nuneaton and uh, to go to Notts County and to, for them to show faith and trust in me to offer me a longer deal was was pleasing on my hand as well and for my family as well because I knew I was I was I could achieve more than what I was doing at the conference level. And how did you find sort of meeting new teammates, uh, new coaching staff? Did, did you settle in? I know you said probably maybe partied a little bit too much even there, but how, how do you find them scenarios when you do walk into a new club? Obviously, being being around the area in Wolverhampton, I had, I had a lot of friends, and moving to Nottingham was a massive reality check to make new friends and meet new people and new management staff was, was kind of hard. For me to go in the first day, I, I knew the the youth team manager who was at Wolves was already there, so I kind of had like a close bond and relationship with him. And you know, when you're just growing up through like youth teams, you know players just playing against them and and stuff like that. It kind of like gelled, and people at the time, Notts County, didn't really have um, an academy team, so all their players around my age is already with the first team. So I was kind of like integrating with them and. Latching on, latching on with them. So it was, it was kind of helped being a, in in that age range and making friends with them. So I'm still friends with some of them now, and some of them are still still playing at a, at a decent level now, to speak. Yeah, definitely. It's like, it's like that football and family, isn't it? And obviously, we touched on it a little bit in the in the intro. But the reason we reached out to you, Jordan, was during Mental Health Awareness Week. You bravely spoke out about your own personal struggles, um, yeah. which seems to think have been a bit later on in your career. Do you know sort of like what the catalyst for that was? And can you can you remember when your negative thoughts first started? 
Um, I would my negative thoughts would say um, when I was still in Notts County, when I was still under, I did I went alone to Lincoln. Sean Derry sent me off to Lincoln and swapped me for another player from Lincoln. So that kind of like I wouldn't say hurt me a little hurt me. It, it did hurt me because I'm thinking I've played under you for for so long and for a swap deal to, for me to go back to, to non-league at Lincoln who, who were a decent side at non-league level at the time when I went. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go out, prove people. I to, it was like a proving people wrong basis again for me. I had to go down and prove people wrong. So I went to Lincoln. I did well, played played about 14 games there, got my confidence back up. And at the, when I was on loan at Lincoln, uh, Notts County, sacked Sean Derry when they was in a decent position just in mid-table and I remember going back I, I got recalled and I remember going back and I'm thinking and I just got a new manager I don't know what his name was was um, Ricardo Moniz I think who who had no experience in in English football or at League 2 level at League 1 level sorry at the time and I remember coming back and he recalled me back and I did a training session thinking because all the other left backs were injured, so that's why I got recalled. And I was, I did a training session, and we had a game the next day. And um, and I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I got told I was going to play that game, and the, they ended up playing the centre half at left back. So I'm thinking, what the fuck? You've called me back for nothing when I could have stayed at Lincoln, and carried on to the end of the season or whatever. So and it kind of, it kind of like jeopardised from there. So like he would always like leave me on the bench and play centre halves at left back, and that's where I kind of like felt unwanted at the club kind of thing. And I remember him pulling me at the office at the end of the season, saying, "Look, you're not in my plans or whatever for next season." But I said to him, "Look, you ain't even you call me back. You haven't even played me. You haven't even like gave me a chance." So he was like, "No, I'm sorry. You have to go and find a new club." So there's me again at the same situation when I was at Wolves going to find another club again. But I said to myself again, I said to my parents, I said to my agent, look, you can say you can get rid of me, but I've got another year left. I've got another year to prove myself. So I've gone back, I've gone, come back the next summer, did pre-season, trained, tried to be in his eye, proved, tried to prove him wrong, but then come to pre-season games, he just left me out completely. Did not, did not play me in the teams, in the pre-season games. He had a squad, he had a bomb squad, a squad of six, and I was part of that bomb squad for the, and I got transfer listed, so I was training with the youth team and not even playing youth um, preseason games with the first team. So, and that's that's where I ended up losing a bit of confidence. And I thought, you know what, I'll, I've got to leave. And that's where the call to for me to go to up north to Gateshead started as well. Yeah, it's a shame because it's a, it's a big club, not counting. I think they just had a few years of turmoil, didn't they? And- yeah, the owner wasn't very well liked, and he kept making strange decisions. As you said, brought monies in, and it's it's the players that suffer, well, the players and the fans that suffer, isn't it? So yeah, you talked there about being away from home, and then you obviously have to make the the trip to Gateshead, which is even further away again. Uh, how how did you find living up there? Um, when I found out I was going to Gateshead, it was kind of I was I was I was thinking like, who the hell are Gateshead? I've never heard of Gateshead in my life. So I'm like Google Maps in where Gateshead is on the map. And I'm thinking, <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's all the way like by Newcastle, like Durham, like the northeast. And I'm thinking, do I really want to go up there? And 
move even further away from home because bearing in mind Notts County is an hour and a half away from me but Newcastle is a different kind of thing for me to go back home it's like over four and a half hours just drive and on a train so I thought you know what it's a, it's a, it's, they're in the conference I've heard positive things about them I've, I've heard good things about them so I thought I said to my parents look I'm going to do it I'm going to it's an, I'm going to go and prove people wrong again and going back to proving people wrong I've got to prove people wrong so I ended up going up up north to Gateshead and um, signing a year's contract there under Malcolm Crosby, the manager was at the time. And um, yeah, I in, I kind of enjoyed my six months there at, at Gateshead. But obviously, he was obviously that thing about moving home, missing family members, not going home regularly, and um, not getting not getting to chill with your friends, and uh, making new, more new friends up in the northeast as well. So yeah, it was it was a tough tough period throughout that. Time with Gateshead as well. Yeah, I've been to Gateshead once, but I didn't take my glasses, so I can't say so much. <laughs> of them, to be honest with you, <laughs> bit of a distance, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but then, obviously, um, if we arrive at you, you, you went to Cheltenham after that. I think was you part of that team that got promoted? Yeah, I, when I in January I left to go to Cheltenham, and I, when I heard Cheltenham came in for me in the January, I was like, yeah, let's get it. Let's get it done forward. Let's get it done as quickly as possible. And I remember at the time I was sitting in, in the barbershop in, in Gateshead and I got a phone call from the, because the manager, Malcolm Crosby, got sacked. And I remember getting a phone call from the assistant manager who got sacked as well saying, oh, Cheltenham have came in for you. This is what they're going to offer you. How do you feel like, how do you feel about it? I was like, yeah, definitely. I was straight away onto the phone to my parents. I was like, let's get it through. And I remember because the two clubs, I, I went for a, a, a fee because I had six months left. So um, Gateshead wasn't allowing me to go on a, just to walk out my contract. So Charnham had to pay for me. And I remember when I moved to Charnham, the, the manager at the time, Neil Aspin, came out on the, the radio saying, I came up with a, with a statement saying, um, obviously, it's my, top, my time with Gateshead came out, unfortunate circumstances, but it's hard living away from home. And for me to move closer to home and go to Cheltenham is, is a massive opportunity. And I remember him coming out to the media saying, I'm not going to have players who don't want to be here, not be here. So for me to hear that was like, what like, I, what, what are you going to say that about me for? I've personally told the club that I want to go back home. I've, I'm live four hours away from home. I miss my family and I'm, I'm feeling homesick. So for him to come out about and say that about me was kind of like a kind of a kicking the teeth and a disrespectful thing to say but yeah I've moved to, to Charlton only an hour and a half away from me and um, I felt happy being back at home I was I felt back in my comfort zone living at home with my parents and um, seeing all my friends again and, and again making more new friends but I, at the time I remember playing against Charlton because I scored the, I scored a free kick against them <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, I remember celebrating because obviously we're where Gateshead Stadium is, they've got the racetrack around it. So it's not exactly like you can run into the crown. I remember like <laughs> over the, I remember over the Cheltenham's um near Cheltenham's dugout kind of like saying I'm gonna score the free kill, put my arms out saying, Yeah, well, that's it, what you gotta say, I'm the man like kind of thing like because <laughs> that's my first goal, a professional goal of score, so I didn't know what to do. So and obviously You only score I, good goals, don't you? Yeah, I don't score tappings. Every goal, <laughs> every goal I've scored is kind of like either from forty yards or a little shank, I would say. <laughs> but um, yeah, I moved to Cheltenham because they was keeping tabs on me and keeping up with my progress. So 
I was kind of happy that I was I was moving to a club who was on the verge of promotion and, and for success as well. Yeah, I must admit that was Tramia's first ever season in non-league. Um, bit of a culture shock, but that year Cheltenham were just above everybody by by a considerable distance. They did. They looked like they were going to win the league from the first week, and they did win the league quite comfortably in the end, didn't they? So yeah, obviously nice for you to be settled neither to home and get a promotion under your belt, and then obviously play in League Two again the following year. If yeah. we just jump forward then to, to your time at Morecambe, where you, you, you came out with that article quite recently, really, talking about um, your battles, and in particular at the time, Jim Bentley, who actually yeah. doesn't live too far from us on the Wirral, um, yeah. said he was really supportive of you. That that must have been a huge relief at the time when your manager reacts that well to, to what you're saying. Yeah, that's unbelievable from any kind of manager, but I've got the most most respect for Jim Bentley and, um, and Kenny, his assistant manager at the time, when I... When I moved to Gateshead, uh, Gateshead, sorry, Morecambe, I got released from Cheltenham. I remember, and coming back on terms with me being, being down in myself and whatever. I remember playing um, against Luton on my birthday, my 24th birthday, and I remember getting um, badly injured. I ended up getting an operation on my hamstring, which kept me out for the next four or five months. So obviously, that's an, another reality check for me to have a massive injury like that. And um, just for me to be at home and not training and being away from teammates and friends to bring you back up was kind of hard on me as well. So I would, I would always sit in my room and I would have no social dis- I would have no social life with my friends. All I would have was my phone, and that knocked me down as well. That knocked me down, and that's what gradually turned for me with what I'm what I'm suffering with now. Kind of like stems from that a little bit with an injury, and for me to go to Morecambe and move. It, so I would say even further away from home again, under under Jim and Kenny was was massively because I had I had offers to stay near home, but I thought to myself I've gone up to work my way back up back up to the league, but I wanted to stay in the league and prove myself because I, I I had like a quite a hard time at China with the fans as well. The fans would always be on my back like if, I, if I wasn't performing well and whatever. So that that was another confidence knocker from me as well for me as well. Are you somebody who's tough on themselves? Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely tough on myself. If if I have one bad game or make a mistake, I remember my, when I moved to Morecambe, I was doing so well in preseason, like playing every preseason game, doing well. My confidence was sky high for the roof. And I remember the first game came. We played um, Crew Alexandra, and at the time, Crew, I went to go and see Crew. I was meeting with Crew because Crew were interested at the time as well, but um, unfortunately. Uh, contract couldn't get agreed so I ended up moving to Morecambe and that was my first game to play against them so I had another point to prove against a team who was, was after me as well so I and we ended up losing 6-0 but I remember having a meet we all had a meeting about the game and obviously it was my first meeting with the, like the Morecambe lads and going over game reviews and it it kind of felt like because I've never been in that situation before where managers was, would, would like pick you out for little things so in my my I've grown up to be like outspoken and kind of have like a an, a short term temper like a fuse. So I'd always like go up back at the manager and say, "No, nah, this is not me. This is he's this is not my fault. I can't do nothing there." So I would always have like he would always tell me that he's never met a person like me who who like is outspoken and re- and like or retaliates. You know what I mean? So yeah. That's that's what I've grown up to be. I've always had like a short temper on, on the pitch 
even if it's like an aggressive tempo, I would always like, if a referee would give a bad decision, I'd be like, ah, oh, I would effing blind the referee just because of like anger issues I've got. You know what I mean? So that's where it kind of stemmed from with the whole time being under under gym. But yeah, like onto your question, Jim would when I came out to gym, it stemmed from like I said, when I came out I had personal issues at home with um with my ex partner and whatever. Like I'm not gonna get into into like the details, but I remember going through so much so much struggles and and toughness through my relationship and even with my parents as well. Like, and obviously being away from home, I really, really wouldn't really get to come home that much. So I'd come home and um, and always kind of, like, argue with my mum over, like, silly, stupid things and argue with my um, my ex-partner over silly, stupid things, even though he was, like, he was my own downdoing because of, of how I felt at the time. So I'd always, like, backlash at people who wouldn't really need to be backlashed at. So I'd just go keep going at them and going at them and going at friends and not seeing friends and just cause arguments and arguments over the wrong people. Yeah, do you think as well when people, like, I've never played, obviously, at your level, but I've been in changing rooms before, and lads just like to make jokes, don't they, and have fun and what we describe as banter, but when you don't know what someone's going through, like, they might have just walked away from an argument, drove straight to training, it's easy to be in a situation where you might be at breaking point or you snap at somebody or... You take something the wrong way that was just meant in jest. So imagine it all built up on top of you almost. Yeah, from being a professional professional view, from being in a change room, everyone from the outside thinks, oh, they have the most, I want to be a professional footballer or whatever because they have the most banter in the change room. Like, that's not the case. If you come into it, come into a um, a footballer's dressing room, you'd, you'd get the banter. But if you're going through so much like I did, through from being back at home and not telling people the full story. Like, I would literally... I remember I had a seat in the change room where I would just sit in the corner and distance my way from people. Like, game days, I wouldn't really social with people. I wouldn't, like, get jeered up out other people, like, get jeered up. I'm the kind of person who, at game days, like, the most laid-back guy you'll ever met. You might think we got a game in about an hour and a half, but I'm just sitting there chilled just like trying to concentrate on the game. And like, I've, I've always alliterate, alliterated to people and teammates where obviously the assistant manager would like G you up and like say whatever. But dude, I'm not being disrespectful to Kenny, but there was one point, there was always the time where I'm just want to chill out and he would get in my face. And, and I, like, I don't like that. I'm not that kind of person. I'm thinking in my head like, shut the fuck up. Like, just get out of my face. <laughs> can't be asked. But like, it would, it would, it would G me up in a way, but, I want to kind of like gear myself up in that way to like calm me down in that in that mental state for you to not just get all up on face and 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 be like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Some people react differently. Some people want to kick up the ass. Some people want normal on the shoulder. And as you say, others might just want to be left alone to do their own sort of like pre-match ritual in a way. Um, at that point where you did come out and sort of discuss the troubles you were having. Did at any point was you worried that that would have an, an effect on your career at all in terms uh, of prospects and what people might think? Um, yeah, yeah, it's the kind of yes and no answer. Like at the time where I, when I came out to um, to my ex partner and my family, and I was thinking, shall I shall I come out to the public? Shall I come out to um, anyone else? But 
for me personally to suffer with that for the last 18 months, two years, and it just built up to that point where I had one massive breakdown and thinking, like I was only, um, I had a, a, a year left at Morecambe and I remember coming back home and having that massive breakdown to my um, to my ex-partner and um, saying, look, I can't fucking do it no more. I can't be asked to play, for, like be at the club anymore. I miss everyone. I, I don't want to be there no more. So that was kind of like running through my mind over the, the last um, couple of weeks prior to to me having a mental breakdown and not not being at at Morecambe was was kind of was like bad at a point for me to say that and think that because I've done I've done so well for Morecambe the pri- the previous season and they've helped me so much for me to give me that chance again to play in the in the league and for me to come out and say that to and think that is is um is bad on my behalf because I don't want to keep thinking about if I go through something as as bad as that to talk bad about a club and think now nah, fuck this I just want to walk away and just walk away from any everything that what they've gave me and what I've gave to that club as well. But um at the time when I came out a, a couple of weeks ago I felt like it was the right time because I've sat on it for a year and thought about it and I wanted other people to know that what I've gone through because only family and and um, obviously Morecambe and my agency know about what's going on with me um, personally. But for the the public to know and what I've what I've suffered and dealt with, it's massive because I want to help people in in a big way and a big change. And I've already had like people message me on um on my social media accounts and even like old old teammates. And I remember getting a text from my old physio when I was at Wolves saying, "Oh, Jordan, you're such a." an inspiration to me you've you've I've known you for so long you've came out and I think it's time for me to come out can you like speak to me so I'm like on a basis where I want to help people as well now I've came out I want to I want to put that platform out to let everyone know to say that it's not it's not bad to speak out on, on what you're suffering with and people can help you you know what I mean no I think it's absolutely brilliant mate and I think it's great and refreshing when it comes from a current football as well and not, not to belittle anything that anybody's done who's now retired, but as you say, it's, it's an added platform, isn't it? When you see people at the top of the game saying, oh, I'm suffering. And it, it's, it's watched by a lot of people. It has a huge effect on a lot of young men as well. And yeah. when they hear that, it, it, it's the ripple effect that, that can make. So I think it took a lot of balls for you to do that and, and fair play to you. And one question I want to ask off the back of that is you've got another teammate, Kevin Ellison, who's, Obviously, a lot older than yourself, but as someone yeah. who's been very vocal about it, yeah, is is he? Did he give you almost a bit of confidence to to speak out, or is that something you spoke to him about before? Um, at the time, you know, I think I think you all know what Kev's like. Obviously, he's all like, he's the 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 big the big guy. Like, I've got the most utmost respect for Kev because when I've always previously played against Kev, I always thought Kev was a, a fucking idiot. You know what I mean? The way he goes into that. <laughs> He's the villain, the way, isn't he? He yeah, plays it to he, it. He's like the pantomime villain around clubs. But if you if you speak to Kev on a personal level, and if you get to know Kev, Kev is the most down to earth guy you'll ever meet. And for me to come out and at the time and come out to the manager who's helped me massively, and to come out to my um, my housemates as well. I was, I was living at, at the time was with Sam and Sam and Reese, and for me to come out to them as well was was kind of hard because I'm putting my backlash onto them as well because I'm living with them as well. So I didn't want to bring my negative energy into them. So I kind of like kept it away from them. So I would speak to Kev because I know Kev's been through it. 
and also I'd, I would always speak to um, to Barry Roach as well, who's who's helped me massively as well. Like I still speak to to Barry and, and Kev now about how he, he's they're always asking me how I'm feeling and stuff like that. Like don't get me wrong, through this lockdown I've had like ups and downs, like the way how it's going on. Like I can't do nothing, so I kind of like try and keep myself energized and focused on like I, I like to exercise. I found a new hobby in like riding, just going out for for long distance walks and whatever like that. But like I said, Kev is 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 vocal. Kev gets his his point across because he's been through it, and he's been through it massively. Even his time at the club, even the last even the last season, like Kev was in and out of the team. But I can't speak for Kev on that on that basis about the what the the team is going through. But um, Kev is. Is, is a massive inspiration to everyone. Is a massive inspiration to me for to look up to someone like Kev as well, and to be on the same team as him is is, is massive for me and massive for me to what gave me the the inspiration to speak out to other people as well. Yeah, that's brilliant to hear that uh, your fellow teammates were supportive, and I echo everything you said about Ellison there from from the little of obviously had a shrug about family as well, but yeah. and a bit of it about him seen on Twitter and things. He he does a lot for the cause. And and just lastly on that that article, Jordan, you referred to um, taking some antidepressants. Uh, are you able to sort of talk us through the process you went through to to make it in front of your GP and seek help? Because that is obviously the hardest step most of the time in in all of this. Really, is finally admitting it to a doctor and, and seeking that help that you may need. Yeah, it was it was a massive massive step for me. Um... Obviously, I've got, I can't say no, I can't say a bad bad word about my ex partner. Like I've got the most utmost respect for her. Like she'd helped through the time when I came out and broke down. I broke down in front of her, and she helped me. She forced me to go because she knew for a fact that I needed help because I was putting pain and and trouble onto her and onto my son as well at the time. And I didn't want to go through that, so I thought of the me being a. a freaking negative person and a selfish person to put so much pain and heartbreak on onto you two that literally she grabbed me by the neck and forced me to go to the, to my doctors and I went to, to the GP and I was, I was literally shitting my pants to walk into the GP and say look I've got I'm, I'm, I need help I've got I'm, I've got I'm depressed I've got anxiety I've got PTSD I've got anger issues like what can you do to help me so and yeah I was I was I, I broke down crying in front of her about telling her and telling my family as well. Literally, I, I couldn't looking at my dad like my dad. My dad, I've got the most most respect for my dad. Like my dad's been there thick and thin, even from me growing up. Like taking me to training and being there for me. Like to look him in the eye and say, "Look, dad, I need help. I've got I've got problems. I've got alcohol problems. I've got depression. I've got anger issues. I've got PTSD and everything. Like I just don't want to bring that all on my family." So for me to to tell the to get help and seek help was was massive for me and it's kind of like another platform another stepping stone for me on the on my road to recovery as well. And what and what was your family's reaction like when you told them? Um, I remember when I was when I told my family, I remember getting a phone call from my dad saying, "Where are you?" And I was like, "I'm just out." And he's like, "You need to come home now." And I was like, "Oh shit!" Because obviously, when your dad says that, you think, "Oh shit, I'm in trouble." But um, yeah. I, I remember him. I remember sitting down in my um, ex partner's house, and my mom, her, and my dad was there. And literally, I couldn't say nothing as soon as my son walked through the door. Just literally broke down crying. 
and, and I think that's when I saw my son. I think that was when our time, my time was for me to um, to book up my ideas and, and sort my life out and change for the best. Like, because I didn't want to look at to watch him grow and watch people watch me grow up and think like I'm a piece of shit or whatever. Like you, you're nothing. You're worthless or whatever. Because my dad's been he's been there for my whole life and he's, he's seen me grow up to to the man I am now. And I want him to do that. I want to watch it. I want him to watch me grow up to the man I am. But um, yeah, it was for me to come out to my family was was devastating and heartbreaking for the most. And like I like I can't thank um, everyone else, everyone that's helped me on this journey. Like they've been so so much so well to me and like checking up on me and and whatever. But I've still got a long road long road to go. I've got I've got things to resurrect and and um, work out with with certain people and. And certain lifestyle choices, what I want to do, but yeah, I'm I'm still continuing to do that as well. Jordan, tell us what it's like trying to play a game of football when you're feeling the way you feel at at that at probably your lowest points. How hard is it to walk out that tunnel, stand on that pitch, and go, "I've got to be the most competitive person on this pitch to win a game, to keep my job, to keep everything else going well." That's got to be that. I mean, saying it right now sounds. Yeah, it's, it's the worst thing I could. I wouldn't wish on on anybody to even think like you for someone to go through depression while playing football, and even when the season was on. So I remember coming out when all this when all came out. We was still we was not even start the season. Like it, it continued all this break breakdown and personal issues stemmed from the summer, which was leading into the season. So for me to go into that season and go to pre-season thinking everything's all right, I was literally doing what I'm doing now or what I was doing at the time like I would just train finish games just go straight to my bedroom which is a lot more away from everyone and um, yeah it's it's the worst thing ever I remember being on antidepressants for like the first couple of weeks or so and, and still training but I felt so low I felt I had, like, I had no energy or nothing and um I remember when I was we, we was playing Port Vale on the Saturday, and I was I was still on the tablets, and I was still having problems at home, like personal issues. And I remember going to the game, like going into the game, and going back to where onto my point with where I just want to like mellow out and and focus on the game. The assistant manager was getting on my face, and in, with everything built up from having arguments or whatever with with um, family members and personal issues with that stemming into the game as well. Everything just built up, and I remember he was on it. He was half an hour into the game, and um, Barry took a goal kick. And I remember like a, a player just tendlessly just accidentally elbowed me in the face and accidentally stood on me. And I remember all that anger just built up, yeah. And I just literally just kicked out him for no reason, just kicked out and got sent off. And I thought another thing. I, I was like, I can't. I was just thinking, I can't do this no more. Like, I have to tell my manager. And I remember going to him, speaking to um, going to the gym, saying, uh, "Gaffer, I apologise for getting sent off." Because he he knew, he I could tell he knew. He was like, "Jordan, I know. Like, what's wrong with you? I'll just tell me." Because prior to that, I wasn't playing. I was out of the team for like the for a couple of games, and I would like with all the arguing and what I would just and I was always on the bench. And after the games, you do runs after and do the gym. But I just thought, "Fuck this! I can't be bothered." Like, if I'm if I'm feeling this low and not playing as well. I might as well just suck the running off and just go straight home. So I would, I would literally, every game, I wouldn't get on. I would fuck the running off, 
fuck the gym off and just get in my car and I'll be straight down the M6 and back home and just lock myself in the room and probably have more arguments with and just go out on, on the piss and just and, um, drown my sorrow from that. And I remember going up to going up to gym and saying, look, I've got problems. Like I've got, I've, I've been to the dentist, uh, dentist, doctor, sorry. And um, I've been diagnosed with having depression and anxiety and being put on antidepressants. And um, that's that's why he, he literally the first thing he did was he just gave me a hug, and I think that's what I kind of needed from from someone. He's just a hug to say everything's all okay, and um, he gave me a, a week off from 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 football from the that's that professional lifestyle to just let me go back home and recoup and just spend time with my family. And I think after that week being at home and sorting things out, what I needed to sort out, really helped me to come back and continue where I left off and just and just fly and get my confidence back as well. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? Because, you know, football is not really considered a normal job. But in a normal job, you would have been probably signed off with stress. And that's quite yeah. common. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's it, football's not really a job where you can do that, you know, halfway through the season or even at the start. And, you're kind of constant in what in what you have to do. You know, towards the end of the season, you're playing for a contract, and then you've got to impress for the summer. And you know, it's quite a it's quite a twenty four seven job. And when you're balancing it with a with everything else that's going on, that that must be really difficult. So when you get to the point where you've come out to the to the manager to the club and 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 told them what's going on, and and then you've come out to the public as well, did you feel? relieved when you when you came out more to the public yeah at the time when i came out to obviously my uh, my family members and my ex-partner at the time and um was was kind of like a step a stepping stone for me to to uh to step forward and continue with my confidence and to battle with what i was dealing with and for me to go and tell the manager and to tell the club personally to say look i've got problems and um, they was massively helpful as well, with um, with me giving for me giving to give me that time off as well during the season was massive because like you said no other, like any other job would have just signed you off for six months but obviously being in in a professional environment you gotta like um, see it out or like to say it, but for the, for the club to to give me a week off and to help me with my issues back home was really was massive for them because you wouldn't really. You wouldn't really see it from any other club, from what club I've been at. And from walking through that was, was massive. And obviously it was another stepping stone a year later to come out publicly and, and let people know and let my friends know who haven't, um, who don't know from the front hand and from what I've been dealing with. And I, even now, my friends are still like, fuck me, I didn't know. Like, they don't know because I, I wouldn't really tell my friends because... I was too scared to tell them because I wouldn't know what they would think of me. So I would like I would put on a like a front on a different persona compared to when I was at home. I would go out with them and just be a different person. You know what I mean? Compared to being what I was at home and being around the football because f- football knew and my friends and my friends and um, other people didn't know. So I'd put on two different acts and two different fronts in front of many different people. And for me to come out publicly now, I can just I can just be one person and be myself and and work on the things that I need to work on and to help me become better personally in myself and professionally as well moving forward. Absolutely. And I think that's that's quite common with 
with a lot of people who get in, in those situations are often found spinning a lot of plates, aren't they, where they're trying to balance everything and trying to fit into different circles. Um, when you came out to the public and, and put it on Twitter, was it, I, I did see a, it was generally well-received and I think that that takes away any any kind of, I can't think of a, a better phrase, any knobheads who, who come towards you when you get so much yeah. well like positivity. You know, and and you can ignore the ones who go man up and and this and that. You're kicking a bag of wind around, and I think when you do that, I think you know you're really commendable in the way that you've gone about it, and and just said, look, here I am. I'm a normal person like everyone else, and I, I think you know, I imagine you're seeing the best of um, best support that you can get really through Twitter. Is that something that you you'd agree with? Yeah, definitely. From what you said, I've I've received a lot of a lot of positive feedback from Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook. Even like on Facebook, I wouldn't really, I don't really indulge on Facebook that much, but to see people inviting me into group, uh, into groups about mental health and get messages saying if you want to, if you want to speak out, just, just drop a video or drop a message in, the, in, in this, in this chat. Then we can all, because we can all benefit from it. If I come out and say what wife uh, suffered with, it helps someone else, and if I can watch someone else's video. It helps me as well from what they suffer with. So it's kind of like a community. Like I wouldn't say in a it's a good community because everyone's like joining together as a, as a one big force to like get it out there. And obviously with the, with this podcast as well, from what you guys are doing, it's a, it's a massive platform for 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 people to come and speak to you or speak to family members or even even speak to like any anybody in in the world you can just drop anyone a message like on instagram you see someone suffer you can drop them a message saying oh i feel your pain I'm, I'm going through this you can help someone for the better and it could help them just to hear what you've said as well absolutely and you know you're someone who relies on football for your livelihood um you mentioned that you've got quite a young family as well i think two going on to three for your for your little lad um, I, I personally have a have a little lad going on to the same age in October. I know how difficult it can be um, to do both of those things to to raise a child and uh, and go through all of that. And it, it took me a little while to get used to it. Um, but I always had a kind of a permanent job and a permanent fixture. How difficult is it to have to go and pretty much display your talents every weekend to to keep these contracts coming in what is quite relatively a uh, a sh- can be a short career. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's definitely a short career in football. Like I think people could experience anything from a early retirement, uh, early injury, or whatever. But for me personally, to from suffering from what I've suffered from first getting released at Wolves and having non-contract contracts and finding where this next payday is going to come and signing year on year off contracts like anyone could find out when the next contract's going to come you don't know so if if for example if you sign a year's contract you've only got a year to um, to perform so anything could happen in that year touch wood many players don't get injured or have troubles as soon as you have first-hand witness that you're going to have a son and it's, it's he's here then that's when reality hits you and you've got a, you got a feed for your family and not think about yourself because I was like that. I'm not gonna lie. I was like that. I was. I wouldn't give a fuck about anything. But when my when I found out I was having a baby, that's when reality hit me, and I thought, oh shit, I'm having a baby now. I need to change sort my life. I don't change my life for the best. And 
raise him and give him what he needs and give him what's best for for everybody and give him the best life that uh, best life that he needs. And uh, Jordan, just um, just finally, just for anyone listening, do you have any advice you know that you'd give them if they're going through similar things to what you went to through? Sorry, um, you know. Is there anything you'd specifically say you'd do first or in, in any sort of sort of uh, routine or anything like that? Routine-wise, personally, every I'll try and stay in a routine where, being obviously being a professional sportsman, I want to stay in that routine where if I would, I would, I would work lockdown as a training day, so I would, I would set my alarm for, for nine o'clock, I'd wake up, stretch, have breakfast and try and, try and stay in that mentality and structure where as I was doing as when I was at training even like on a Saturday I would still wake up like it was a game day I'd still go for the same routine but advice for advice personally I would just I would I would speak to family members speak to family members um join little whatsapp group chats with any facebook group because that would that would massively help you people in that group chat it could be anyone you can make friends like I've made so much friends now from just coming out from that one tweet like people have been messaging me saying oh I feel your pain if you want to speak to anyone if you want to speak to me speak to me so yeah I'll just get out there like try and stay level-headed keep remaining positive during this lockdown and any anywhere can get you just think positively because I've been saying to everyone even my friend my, my close friend has, has, has been suffering this lockdown as well and I've been speaking to him about it, saying he wants to turn his life around. I'm like, mate, I've been there. All you need to do is just sort your life out. Think positively, stay in a routine and just go and get it. Just wake up every morning and just look in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go and get it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to change my life. That's all I'm, That's all I say is I'm going to change my life. My front screen, I look at my phone every morning. It's my, it's my son. So that just gives me a, a start off. Gives me a head start in front of everyone. So... So yeah, that's my my advice to everyone is just that don't suffer in silence and, and speak out because we're all together and we can all help people who's who's suffering really really bad as well. Yeah. Touched on it before. We're all Tramway fans. Was that goal last year your best goal of your career? Yeah, I would say so. It's my best goal. Yeah. It was a cross, wasn't it, Jordan? Nah, it was. <laughs> what are you like? Bro? <laughs> I'll send you. I'll send you guys the angle from what Tramway had as well. <laughs> that's just the football league angle I'll send you the actual angle where it was on the cross tell Scott yeah, Davis not to die for that again <laughs> <laughs> uh, as a fullback who is your favourite winger to play in front of you that's a tough question you say it's quick fight it's tough <laughs> you know what I would, I would actually say Kev Kev because he's, he, he's an honest guy he'll give 110% for you he would literally do anything for you. Okay, so I would say Kev, yeah. Is it annoying when you're playing behind him and he starts yeah. winding up the fans? Yes, definitely, definitely. <laughs> I can't because just for example, like on throw-ins where they, the the team want to take a quick throw-in, you you want the winger to be in front of the the right winger, and you, you see Kev twenty yards down the down the, the pitch screaming at fans and. Giving all fans jib, you're like, you're like, Kev, Kev, get back, Kev, get back. And it's like, oh shit, shit, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's like, so yeah. It is, it is tough playing in front of Kev sometimes, but it's also funny as well. Um, we interviewed uh, 
Guy Branston, and now we're interviewing you, uh, Jordan Cranston. You don't happen <laughs> to know anybody called Dranston, do you? No, I don't know anyone called Dranston. No, <laughs> actually, no, actually, no, actually, no. Guy Branston from my time in North County as well. Did you have a hero or an icon growing up? Uh, football wise or personally wise? Uh, I think both. Um, obviously, growing up, obviously, my, my dad. I look up to my dad as as a man and as a person, and how he's grown up and struggled through, just to to help our family as well. So I would say him personally, and obviously football wise, I've always looked up to um to Ashley Cole. Ashley Cole was one of my favourite left backs growing up in that era of my age as well. But now I would I would say Marcelo, who's at Real Madrid. I always look at how he plays. I feel like we have the same um, attributes. He likes to go forward and, and be a, a flary left back compared to the old school left backs. Now he's kind of like a different different level of of how fullback should be. You know what I mean? Doctor Dre and Eminem famously sang "Forgot About Dre." Have you ever forgotten something that's gotten you into trouble? Oh God! Um, <laughs> you know when I was at Wolves, I was I was a I was a first year pro, and we we travelled to Middlesbrough the day before the, on the Friday. And I remember we had a call down session on the Saturday, but on that Friday, Grand, remember when Grand Theft Auto, the the the, pre, the last GTA came out, yeah, that came out. So we all from where we used to go at the Molyneux, it's, it's only like a, a drive walking distance away from Asda across the road. So we've all arranged to go to Asda, get get GTA, and come back home and play it. So we're all playing it, and we we had to be in for training the next day at like ten o'clock to start a warm down. And I remember being on it till about four or five o'clock, just completing every mission. And I didn't set my alarm. I forgot to set my alarm. So I've woke up in the morning and it's like half ten. And I'm like, oh crap, I've got I've got training. And so I have literally just not even washed myself. I've just put all my clothes on, got to training, drove to training, and I've everyone just starting their their stretching session and I've walked in like like an innocent little boy at school and got <laughs> I've like I've knocked on the door and I'm like, oh. I'm, I'm sorry I'm late. I was, I'm sorry I overslept. So it's kind of like <laughs> silly little things just for like a, a games console. It's like, you know what I mean? It's just crazy. Didn't um, didn't Meza Hazel turn up late to training or something because he was playing Fortnite? Yeah. Wasn't that last season, wasn't it? It's like an addiction. Like, it's like the PS4 just says, keep playing, I'm playing with me. It's like now I'll stay on Call of Duty till about four or five. Even though I'm trying to stay in a routine, like waking up at nine o'clock, which some days it doesn't even happen because I'm just too in too deep with playing Call of Duty. What's your favourite memory of fans celebrating when you've been playing? Um, obviously I can't talk about the time where I was at Tranmere because obviously it was three 0 down at the time. But I would say. My the 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 goal I scored at Cambridge away, because at the time we was we was fighting for relegation, so we kind of like had to go on a little mini run to get to pick up points and and further our distance away from the bottom two. So to go away to Cambridge and put on a performance like we did, and for me to score the goal to like ease us away from even drawing the game or whatever to make it two 0 and to celebrate with the fans was was massive for me to like even describe it to so even stay up stay up as well. We're walking from the season we had as well. So we would we would play games and do well against teams but but lose 
but we we got no we got no arguments or complaints because we did the best we can. We like we batter teams, but still come out with a, a bad result. But yeah, I would say Cambridge away when we won two one. Uh, Jordan, uh, the Friends Friends TV show um, has kind of gone through a bit of a, a battering from from younger generations. Yeah. Uh, do you like it or do you think it's overrated? You know what? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I, I've I've never watched Friends. I've never ever watched it. Wow, that's huge. Never, I've never Breaking. watched that, it. That'll be on the, the, the Sky Sports yellow ticker. <laughs> <laughs> I've never watched it. You know what it is because it's back on Netflix now. And now you're saying it's breaking news for me. Not I haven't watched it. I'm gonna have to watch it now. <laughs> There'll be some uncomfortable questions at the uh, the first match press conference when yeah. that when that drops. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never I've never watched Friends. I've never watched Friends. <laughs> um, Jordan, if you could play in any derby in the world, what derby would it be? It's got to be the Merseyside derby, isn't it? Yeah, it's the, the Tramir Everton. <laughs> no, <Nah, laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, the Merseyside, Merseyside. It's it's just one of it's one of the the top derbies you can even think of. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like to to exp- even to experience it in in a lifetime. You can say I've been to a Merseyside derby. Even watching it on even watching it on telly, it's just ridiculous from the atmosphere you get. But to be live, I can, I can't imagine what it's like. 